Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. Do, 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 do. Oh yeah, is, is the bit where he's like throwing a barrel and it makes the fucking Donkey Kong sound effect? <laughs> There's there's the fact that he's basically okay. basically like a juice box full of CGI blood. <laughs> like, so much. Every, everything about is perfect. So much going on. What more on. could you want? Why why ever why ever do anything if we live in a world that has suburban Sasquatch? Why not just embrace the madness? This 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 is bloodborne. We just need to to become bestial and walk into the street and cackle at the falling moon. It's over. It's over. We've achieved humanity. It is indeed. We it's, can we can now just become. It is so over for us. It's so we <laughs> we are not so back. It is so over. Welcome welcome to Post Horror Vanguard, I've, the the film that is no longer the film criticism podcast that is no longer human. Yeah, I you know what? I felt I felt good after watching Die You Zombie Bastards. Um well, that's an uplifting film with a positive leftist message, yeah. Uh, I felt great watching Giant Spider Invasion. Um, uh, a pa- a, the paragon one, of Wisconsin one, cinema. We're just going to have to see how things go. Uh, this is this is one of our first forays into the darkness that is independent Pennsylvanian cinema. There's a lot <laughs> of strange things that come out of Pennsylvania. Um, all of them uh, uh, beautiful in their malignance. Oh, do you want to lead us into today's void <laughs> yeah i will i will i will oh oh no listeners by t- hitting play on this episode you've opened one of our trap chests that takes you directly to Kalid. i'm sorry <laughs> oh yes 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 uh i am uh i'm not a bigfoot hunter i consider myself a bigfoot preservationist i'm ashley darrow one of the co-ghosts of horror vanguard your podcast on Radical politics, horror movies, and cryptid conservationism. I am joined, as always, by John, aka the Lickrit guy, aka the Bigfoot Crit guy. How's it going? It's good. I'm just. I'm. I am just a small town reporter who, for some reason, wants to win a Pulitzer Prize. Um, that's all. That's whoa, all whoa, I want. Whoa, 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 hang on. I, I, I think you mean a Pulitzer. A Pulitzer. I want a big old Pulitzer. <laughs> This is a, such a goofy film. Such a today, today, listeners, as you can tell based on the title of the episode upon which you have hit the play button, we are discussing Dave Waskovich's Suburban Sasquatch. And, um, and. Because you know what's not part of a Struck Studio? Yeah, for some reason. <laughs> uh, and Troubled Moon Productions. Until, until, uh, we did say this uh, a little while ago, um, but until the SAG after a strike has been resolved, we are minimizing and reducing our coverage of anything from a Struck Studio. We're going to do our best to avoid them entirely. Uh, and so, if you like what, what we on the show call Ash Cinema, then... By God, you're in for some treats. Um, this is gonna be this is gonna be a fun, fun time for us all. <laughs> this is this is my way of backdooring in the David Waskovich cinematic universe because I legitimately enjoy the discourse of Fungicide, one of his other films, which we will be getting to now. 
Um, we 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 cracked the Neil Breen seal. Now it's the Dave Waskovich seal. I mean, I have to say, I, I, I to give to give people a little bit of behind the scenes context. Okay, so we we try and plan out episodes uh, probably a couple of months in advance just to give ourselves time to prepare everything. And um, I, I, if I'm not mistaken. This episode was originally slated to be something that you had chosen, um, an A24 movie called The Green Knight. It was. It was going to be The Green Knight, a movie that I think is beautiful. The cinematography is amazing. The storytelling is just subtle and deft with wisdom and and a morose sense of, of hopefulness. Uh, and and luckily, no. luckily, you managed to find a film that I think meets and exceeds those criteria in every single way. <laughs> Look, look, uh, 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 Mr. A24, if that is your real name, I know you're listening right now. I know you're scoping us out. Just just pick up Suburban Sasquatch. It's perfect. It has the A24 vibe. I know for a fact, uh, thanks to a little bit of behind, behind off-air research, um, that the writer-director of Suburban Sasquatch has planned out multiple sequels, um, which are in pre-production. So, you know... If you can come to an agreement with SAG, I think now is the time. <laughs> I would like <laughs> Suburban Sasquatch 2. I would like Suburban Sasquatch Lost in the Big City. And I would like the reboot Suburban Sasquatch 4. <laughs> oh, ooh, okay, okay, okay. Three, I, I'm, I'm imagining it. It's it's Suburban Sasquatch, Urban Sasquatch. And like the 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 logo is like like a neon light, like you'd see in a city, but the S in suburban is like flickering out. Yeah, think think um, think you know, uh, Jason takes Manhattan, but with a mysterious cryptid. Yeah, but you know, it's Bigfoot, and then and then we have to get suburban. We have to get to suburban Sasquatch ten, where he goes into outer space, <laughs> and then we can get suburban Sasquatch versus Sharktopus. You know, we are we are on the verge of of basically just just mainlining Funko Pops. Uh, Dave, we need you to call us. <laughs> um, reach out. You know how to get in touch. <laughs> yeah, so that, that way we could write the sequel, which is Suburban Sasquatch: The Marxist, The Lost Marxist Lectures. <laughs> the the eighteen forty four Economic and Philosophical Manuscripts: Colon Suburban Sasquatch. <laughs> What what how, how much how, how much linen does it cost to make a suburban Sasquatch? That, that's a very important that's, question. That's very important. But uh, before we get too far into this, I am aware that that listeners may not be familiar um, with the movie, or may not really be familiar with the long theoretical uh, history of Sasquatch cinema. Um, and so, it is my very great pleasure to ask my dear friend Ash to explain to 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 me to you. Um, and to all the cryptid hunters out there, what is 2004's Suburban Sasquatch really about? Reality is like a television set with an infinite number of reality channels. I love laughing with and at a bad B-horror movie. There's a celebratory revelry to be had in terrible costumes, confusing plots, and baffling effects decisions. However, there is also an immense psychic danger posed by allowing the formation of the bad movie to supplant critical engagement with art. Make no mistake, bad art can exist in the sense that an artwork can ultimately fail to meet the bare minimum standards generally accepted for the medium. A film can, without purpose, have bad special effects, 
a plot with major continuity errors, and a generally sloppy approach to its own construction. A formalistic parade of failures produces a unique spectacle that demands an even greater attention by the audience. The formal qualities of technically successful films become either invisibilized by their competencies or encoded as great and thereby taxonomized with a clinical sterility. The bad horror movie explodes with its failures. We revel in the formal details of a bad movie with a level of scrutiny that would reveal the zipper in any monster's costume. The bad horror movie requires a well-behaved audience. We're supposed to react with jovial hostility to these films. The badness of these films is located somewhere between a clumsy piece of art and the well-trained reception of an audience that knows how to throw toast. With formula varying in rigidity from the Rocky Horror Picture Show cast to riffing over a bad film with friends on a couch, a complacent viewer must obey the social contract of the bad horror film. In the same way that the general reception of great art tends to create an anhedonic productivity that generates new modalities of hegemonies and oppressive structures, so too does the general reception of bad horror movie demand an equal, if inverted, production of the same forces. As Beetlejuice said, I've seen The Exorcist 167 times and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. I've seen Suburban Sasquatch closer to a more modest 10 or so times, and it keeps getting more tragic, more pained every single time I see it. Here comes the complication. What if Suburban Sasquatch is not just a bad horror movie, but a bad horror movie that has the potential to be just as, if not more, critically powerful than films like The Exorcist? They can't be on the same level formalistically but their discursive potentials are entirely bound up in our theoretical capabilities. A film is a seed and we are its gardeners. Be not so settled in your theory and your approach. The inability to look a film directly in the eye is never located in the film itself, but always in the heart of the critic. Bring the full weight and implicit respect of rigorous radical criticism to bear as we discuss Dave Waskovich's Suburban Sasquatch. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, indeed. Um, where would you like to start with this? I mean, God, where do you, where do you even begin? <laughs> well, let's 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 kind of jump in j- jump into kind of the you know I wrote that pricey from a very formalist perspective, so let's jump into the formalist zone by really trying to pick apart what we do with the bad horror movie. This this has been a topic that we've came back to over the years on the show. And I feel that like our, our our thoughts on the bad horror film and how we approach it and what we do with it critically have you know like continue to grow and change as we grow and change as critics. The formalism zone. Well, I think it might be worth taking a second to kind of give a taxonomy of what we mean by bad, because. Uh, there, there are there are different flavors. There are different flavors of bad movie, right? Uh, and we have differing reactions to each of them. So there is the bad movie in the kind of like moralistic or kind of intellectual or epistemological sense, where we go, actually, this is a bad movie precisely because of its politics, because of the uh, function mm-hmm. role that it plays in the cult- wider cultural culture industry. And the implications of the things that it advocates for and its ideological presuppositions, right? So, um, yeah, you know, 
the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for example, would fit would fit <laughs> in that category. Um, then there is then then there's the kind of like technically bad movie. Um, but the the I think it's important to kind of separate things. Things don't just have a formal quality of badness and a bad content. Uh, form and content are actually dialectically interlinked, right? On the on yes. the formal level, this is a bad movie. Uh, it is it is close in in places close to incompetent, um, but is so kind of uh, generally committed to what it's trying to do that its badness becomes a kind of like almost transcendent limit that the film itself goes beyond. Uh, what do you think? I I, I think you're completely correct, and I th- I think it also. So like I think this is a good part to talk about like the the professionalized aspects of cinema and kind of our our perspectives and our engagement with art more broadly. Uh, uh, by and large, we've become a consumer society when it comes to art. Uh, we don't produce art as individuals. We don't see ourselves as artists. Art is something that's been professionalized and and absolutely recuperated into the capitalistic structure. So so of course, all low budget cinema, all B cinema, all independent cinema. Uh, uh, that's how we encode things as bad, right? Like the, the kind of bad horror movie is synecdoche for B horror. Right. And and I think a lot of those reasons come down to kind of like how classism, right. How, how like the kind of mechanics of capitalistic oppression weave themselves into the artistic landscape. And this isn't to totally forgive the wild incompetence we see in this movie. (laughs) Um, But it is, it is to kind of establish this bedrock of like, you know, like, I mean, like, like, you know, we can make a lot of jokes where it's like, what was the movie? Is it Skull Forest? I don't know. I'm trying to think of the movie where in the credits it's like, thanks to my Petco pals or something like that. And it's like, it's like, yeah, a lot of these people are like working full time jobs and their buddy is like, hey, do you want to be like a zombie killer? And then like their friend is like, oh, yeah, that's great. And so I think we have to approach that a little bit differently than we do like multimillion dollar studio contracts. So actually, you bring up a really important point, which is like. Yes, formally this is a bad movie, but I want to make an argument that this is actually the closest thing that we get to actually existing elevated horror. So, <laughs> suck it, A24. If you're still listening, Mr. A24, suck suck the big foot. No, absolutely, right? So, elevated horror is, as we have consistently argued, a product of a um, critical mainstream that is rife with classism, that is rife mm-hmm. with a sort of cultural snobbery towards horror and genre media more more widely. This is kind of a horror movie made in the purest sense, as removed as possible from a major studio system, as removed as possible from the cultural apparatus of mainstream horror uh, horror movie media. This is horror movies pursued as an end in and of themselves. Like, the people who worked on this didn't want to get rich. They didn't want to get famous. They wanted to do this because they wanted to do this. This is this is form elevated to, like, probably the closest thing you can get to being purely disinterested art. Right? This is this. Uh, this yes. is what we should be talking about when we talk about elevated horror. Because it's a cultural product that is made probably in the awareness that it will almost, one never be seen by very many people and two will never generate any kind of revenue it is it is almost impossible 
do you think about this as a quote-unquote product in straightforward terms like you would with an A24 movie? So in a sense, sense, all of it's kind of like technical incompetence and there is huge colossal amounts of technical incompetence. (laughs) Uh, It's kind of sheer cheapness is testament to the almost like non-fiscal, non-financial, pure-hearted interest of, in this case, almost certainly just like one person who put this whole thing together. What and I think I think it's 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 really worth teasing apart a lot of these threads too because like suburban Sasquatch has become wildly successful on on commercial terms on popularity terms for the kind of independent Z horror movie that this is yeah. right like like this is talked about this is a known film right like obviously this is a very niche film and and I wouldn't be shocked if a lot of people haven't heard of it but like people have heard of this movie. Like it's not, it, it, and, and that's kind of like bound up in it's and how open it is with how goofy it is, how hard, you know, like like Waskovich and everyone else tried with this movie. I, I think drives the kind of relative success that we're looking at here because I can easily imagine like, like okay, like let's let's kind of strip suburban Sasquatch of everything that's clearly outside of the range of the budget and the talent that Waskovich had access to when making this movie, right? So, so that, that means that the Bigfoot costume is always going to be really blurry. That means we are not throwing around two dimensional cop cars, like all of the, 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 the single plastic arm that was purchased for this movie doesn't get purchased. Like, and you could make like a, a Blair Witch Project meets Sasquatch style of movie for roughly the same amount of money. And, and keep everything blurry, keep everything hidden, have an absolutely non-existent budget for most things. But then we're making a different kind of movie, right? Like then then it's a different product being created. And then like, I, I would rather watch like independent filmmakers kind of like, you, you know, you know, I mean, like fumble their way through trying to do everything. Because this also like this ties into so many good like poverty and class discourses too, because like. You know, like if you've ever lived for a long period of time without access to a lot of money, you wind up just DIYing a bunch of stuff that you probably shouldn't DIY. You know, like duct taped together car parts, duct taped together wounds, right? Like you wind up DIYing stuff that other people could just buy. And so like this movie, any conversation of this movie is just so bound into all of the same conversations we wind up having about class. Well, no, precisely. And like what I admire about this movie is the purity of its intentions. Like, and and those intentions shine through even in its most kind of abject failure. The failure actually, it's in a kind of like, as like a photographic negative, its failures highlight what it, what the, what the kind of creative ambition of its writer, director, producer, and special effects artist was aiming for, right? And it's 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 time it's time for me to have a hot take too. I, I think because like you know what you know what suburban Sasquatch reminds me of Night of the Living Dead, Romero's iconic film, one of the greatest horror movies of all time, is is also an incredibly low budget independent film. Right, that that if if it wasn't for the like wild success that the rest of Romero's career became, like maybe that wouldn't have gone on to define what the zombie is. 
you know, like, like I can, I can see a course of events that suburban Sasquatch will never be as good as night of the living dead, but I can see a a course of events where this comes to, this film could come somehow come to define the shape of Sasquatch in horror cinema. I think there's, there's two things to say, which is like, firstly, and I said this one, that's the most insane thing you've ever heard. Yeah, totally. Firstly, I said this when we talked about Birdemic, um, but this kind of movie is a really good example of the essentially egalitarian and democratic impulsive film of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I, again, I, I can't help but drive this home, which is like, if you were listening to this and you have ever in your heart of hearts harbored the desire to make a movie, to make a feature length film, you can, you, you, you absolutely can. Nothing, nothing is stopping you. Uh, do you know how to use a, a movie camera? Doesn't matter. Do you know how to mix sound or even record it properly? Doesn't matter. Do you know how to do special effects? Doesn't matter. Uh, like you can, if you really want to, if you have a kind of purity of desire, you can pick up a camera and you can put together a a, a feature length film. That's point point number one. And yes. Secondly, this brings up the point of like, w- what stops this from being uh, as Romero is to the zombie, uh, as this this is to Bigfoot? What stops it? And I think the probably the biggest problem is the big innovation of cinema as an art form, which is its control over time. And mm-hmm. so, both on a moment to moment level, and on a sequence to sequence or a macro level, the big problem with this film is is in terms of how it's edited, where the camera is, yes. where the camera is, and how the body of of the subject is put in motion, um, and if you want a, if you want an object lesson in in why does something look strange on camera or why does a chase sequence lack tension, it's to do with how editing and framing controls time and space. And this is a really good film to watch if you want to find out more about that. Because there's so many chase sequences where, you know, you just see somebody sort of standing stock still and you go, wait a second, what? Like, what's the spatial relationship between these two people? Like the example of like uh, the two women who were killed in their car by Bigfoot, which I know is one of your favorite things in the entire movie. Um, Beautiful. Like, it's so difficult to work out what the spatial and temporal relationship is between those three people or between those three kind of bodies. And it makes the the whole thing kind of seem slightly sort of comedic. And I think it's just a really good object lesson in like, what, what does it mean to make a film? What it means is to try and control time and space or the, or the representation of time and space. And, and, so, and so I'll say I'll say two things to both of your points. The first is that so Waskovich makes this movie in 2004 using a digital camera and about $550 for the budget. So we can kind of interpret that as no money, right? This this is a no budget film. You know, $550 for the budget of your movie is essentially you're just buying whatever you can and using whatever you already have. Um, today, my iPhone can shoot in 4K. Yeah. And stabilize digitally. Yep, absolutely. Right. And and. Even even like, you know, like if you've got like 60 bucks, you can go on eBay and get a, re- a really decent like video microphone for your smartphone. Right. And even without that, the iPhone's audio is is OK as far as like no budget horror cinema goes. And like 
So if you're listening to this right now on a smartphone, you literally have already have access to all of the equipment you need to make a movie on the level of most B and Z horror. Yeah, on the on all, all you need is all you need is people, time, and an idea. Yeah, you, you could make something um, which is quote unquote better than Birdemic or better than Suburban Sasquatch, but the question is, like, do do we have the kind of purity of desire which? Uh, which Suburban Sasquatch does. There, 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 there is a fevered hunger to, to realize your dream to the fullest extent and make no compromises relative to your budget. Or ability. In this movie, <laughs> or ability. That, that is absolutely vital here. And like, and, and I think Die You Zombie Bastards is a great alternative to, to kind of compare this against because Die You Zombie Bastards is, is another B slash Z horror movie shot on a shoestring budget you know, with with a lot of people just just scraping it together, and that movie is like a a nonstop roller. I'm I'm gonna sound like the back of the DVD, a nonstop roller coaster ride of gore and excitement! Exclamation point! Close quote dash horror vanguard. Oh, uh, and and um, of course, uh, giant uh, penises sl- slathered in peanut butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dicks slathered to the hilt in peanut butter, of course. <laughs> you know, and cannibal killers, and a giant spider who drinks oil, and like. Uh, you know, a coconut face had coconut head face mask, man. I don't even remember. It's been a minute since I've seen that now. Um, but the, the second thing I want to say is that so so uh, I, I return to a frequent nemesis of the show, Cinema Sins, right? Because the kind of function of Cinema Sins is like the kind of lowest hanging, like possible c- cinema analysis, where you're just pointing out like. Yeah, essentially, you go to IMDb and you scroll through the list of goofs, and then you make a video pointing out all those goofs, as if as if that means something in in vacuo, as if that is a way of approaching film, as if you're saying something funny or interesting or useful at all, uh, and you're not. And I think one of the there are many deep failures. There are many cinema cinema sins done by cinema sins, if you will, and one of them is like. The thing, the thing, you're right. The thing that really makes Suburban Sasquatch ultimately not work is just all of the continuity errors. You know, like it, it is just rid- riddled dead bodies keep moving around, like props keep adjusting themselves randomly. The, 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 the costume keeps kind of randomly changing. There, some things are just arbitrarily CG and others aren't. Like, like the, the uh, people like, so, so our, our protagonist. And not to get ahead of ourselves, but like the best example of this is so our protagonist meets this kind of like indigenous warrior woman who's hunting the Bigfoot. Uh. And she's like, I'm going to I'm going to hunt and kill. The, oh, we're going to get into that. Uh, uh, and she's like, I'm going to go hunt and kill the Bigfoot. And he's like, Bigfoot. I don't believe in that at all. Why would I ever believe in something as ridiculous as a Bigfoot when the guy had literally just seen with his own two eyes the Bigfoot? Yeah, it's, it, you just saw it. How do you not? Uh. And that's and that's exactly and that that's exactly not only your point but an example of like how that cinema sense approach kind of like poisons poisons the well here because now like there's the overcorrective nature of of kind of countering cinema sense with kind of just totally ignoring breaks in continuity exposed boom mics and stuff but like and again with the exposed boom mic black dynamite uh, the the movie is such a great example of like how the exposed boom mic has become part of the language of bad cinema and b cinema and like there's so much more to explore here than what what these kind of like discount criticism tools give us access to yeah i mean uh, seeing the boom mic nobody i i don't care i don't think that makes anything bad but i think 
um, I fundamentally not using your ability, the tool of the great, the great innovation of cinema is, is, is Tarkovsky was right, right? It's about, it's about the control of space and time. And if you're unable to control it, whether that's through, through accident or through lack of time and attention or lack of ability or lack of like uh, preparedness, what you get is you get something that leaves people going, oh, this is a bad movie. Um, the other thing you mentioned that I think is worth kind of talking about is CGI. <laughs> and this, uh, or, or as we could call this, the birdemic problem. Um, <laughs> what do you think about the CGI in this? Um, so, uh, you know, like I, I think this was edited or, or the, the CGI was, was composed using like light wave or something like this is very like late video toaster looking film. Yeah. Uh, it, and, it, like, it, it looks like a PS2 cutscene. Oh, you're being generous. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're being generous or, or if you're besmirching the PS2 cutscene there. Um, what one of those two is happening. Maybe both. Um, Maybe both. But like. And, and this is so worth, worth unpacking in terms of how we how we approach decision making and art as as critics and how we kind of interpret that and how we kind of encode and decode those things. But like so so there's a scene where some hunters throw a net on Bigfoot and then Bigfoot I love trapped this scene in the net so falls, much. <laughs> it's it's beautiful F- falls to the ground and we we get a cut and Bigfoot's lying on the ground and the net is CG and the net is like wiggling. It's like writhing as if it was made of snakes or something on top of Bigfoot. My favorite thing, and my favorite thing is like, yes, very obviously the the Bigfoot was not in the scene and has just been composited in afterwards. So, yeah, it's so, actually so you have a CG oh, net, on. you have a computer generated net on a computer generated Bigfoot. And and so like there, there was a lot of like digital composting done to correct costuming errors with Bigfoot. Because the, the, the gloves and the sleeves didn't go into each other right. So, like, there was a lot of, like, digital pasting done to make Bigfoot look normaler. Yeah, quote, unquote, normal. <laughs> it said with great confidence. Um, but so I think, like, it's, it's, it's really worth kind of picking apart because the, the, it's all over this movie. You know, you know Ta- Talia, the, the, the kind of, like, quote, unquote, indigenous warrior woman, which we are going to get to that. Do not you worry. That is, like, literally the next next talking point. Like throws CGI axes, shoots CGI arrows. Bigfoot throws a CGI log, and either either CGI rocks or CGI hunks of rotting ham. I can't really tell. And like, you know, like we're kind of like at an impasse with a lot of this stuff, right? Because like, I, I get the use of CGI arrows, right? Because you can't actually shoot arrows at your guy in a Bigfoot costume unless you know that, like, when you shoot arrows at someone in a bad movie. That's filmed in reverse. Yeah. And it's actually the arrow being pulled out. Yeah. That's then played in reverse and it looks like it's going in. But maybe you don't know that. So you don't shoot it that way. But the the net, like. You, no one had a net. No one. The, you the can net go buy a net one of those choices, which is like completely baffling. And only. And that, that, that does. And only makes sense if like you were on set that day. And you know that like. Oh, Jeff was supposed to bring like his fishing net, but Jeff forgot, and now you have to make it work because there is no time and there is no money to buy a new net. Or even like, because so like, and I think to like break break this apart a little bit with some like left theory magic, like the net that they throw on Bigfoot is clearly the net that you would find in the trunk of your car, you know, like the net that separates your groceries, mm-hmm. and like that that's kind of clearly what they throw on Bigfoot, and it works in the in the in the action scene where it's being thrown. 
it looks like a net is being thrown. It kind of reads okay. But when if Bigfoot were to lie on the ground with that on him, you've got like this eight foot tall demon monster with like a little like car webbing over his face. Like it would look so goofy. And and so like like you know, what what what's going on here? It's like okay, well, what, Dave Waskovich did not have access to a larger net. It was either outside of the budget or like willing to bet that most, if not all, of the people working on this movie had full time jobs. You know, like going to buy a oh, net yeah. takes time and you have to buy groceries. You have to take care of your kids. You have to go to work like buying a net for your friend's goofy Bigfoot movie is low on the priority list, even if you're the guy making the goofy Bigfoot movie. Yes. And so we have we have kind of like even even here in suburban Sasquatch, this goofy movie with. Let's say unsettlingly Malthusian colonialist discourses on accident. Like even even this film is still kind of like under the heel of the strictures of capital. Well, yeah, of course. Um, and I guess this this brings up this brings. Up, actually, can we talk about the costume design as well? I think you, you we sort of touched upon this. Yes. Um, I know you wanted to talk about our police officers. And, and again, what we what we kind of find here is something that's like really like there's kind of this morbid fascination I have with the decision making behind Suburban Sasquatch. You know, because like you, you, we, we could say things that have been said by other critics. Like, you know, you could just like rent a police police costume from a party store, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. or like like buy one from a Halloween shop or, or, or something, right? Like, and and of course, like in the credits, we find out that Dave Waskovich um, has friends in the local police department, which he, is how he was able to film inside of a police station and get access to an actual police car that his actors could ride around in. And like, but I guess that that friendship stopped at borrowing a police outfit so interesting um and 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 again like this this speaks to like the the kind of fevered commitment to live the dream because those didn't have to be cops oh no maybe they they could they could have been rogue bigfoot hunters they they could have been somebody like oh i want to i want to sell bigfoot to the circus for money and then you don't need the police costumes but you could still have but then it still makes sense that they have guns and a certain sense of violent authority but no, no, they're cops. We're 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 sticking to the script, word for word, letter for letter. There's this kind of like, like maddened glint in the eye, right? There's 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 a, there's a kind of like foaming at the mouth of this movie where it's like we're 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 doing this thing, come hell or high water, and that just that 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 I think drives so much of the like bizarre like cackling humor, like when you realize that so they have like brown state trooper ties, <laughs> but. You see in many scenes because the tie gets flipped around that they're actually like a blue stripey like plaid pattern, yep. and and that the thing over the top is like construction paper or something. It's so weird, <laughs> and, and and that's the thing. Like like it's just weird, and weird compels me. Weird makes it interesting. It's like that, that that episode of of TNG where Data tries to save everyone by lying about them going through a wormhole. But then everyone's like, oh, my shirt fits weird. Hey, that carpet's a little uh, askew. And then they, they, they like reverse engineer a bunch of random bullshit to realize that like, oh, it was a massive conspiracy theory. Yeah, you, I feel like that's you've passed through this, this movie is presenting me with a mystery and I, I can't look away from it. Um, is there any, any are there any other formalist points you'd like to talk about? Um, yeah, we, we should talk about like, I, I mean, like, let's, let's not be like equivocal about this. Like, like the casting in this movie is, is wildly colonialist. 
unreal. Yeah, yeah I mean, and and it was, we were specifically restraining ourselves just to casting, so we can talk about more colonialism later. But like, you know, there's there's someone who's meant to be an, an indigenous elder of of some variety, right? And like, it's it's just it's just like your Italian grandpa <laughs> was the guy that got cast. And there's 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 a lot of moments where it's like okay we're doing stuff that's just like straight up colonialist racism in this movie. Here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like none of that was necessary from a storytelling point of view. Like you no. know you you want to you want a reason to like be hunting down Bigfoot. You can do that without resorting to we're gonna we're gonna do kind of like red face, you know. Yes. You, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do the co-option of indigenous spiritual practices and indigenous epistemologies. You don't need to do that. None of that is none of that is obligatory. That's all a choice that the film makes. Yes. Yes, a- absolutely. And and this decision-making process and this is what I was like getting at with the Precy is like we can't shy away from the full implications of this, right? Like we we could easily record an hour long podcast where we're just like ha ha bigfoot's bigfoot's got mommy milkers and a big dick <laughs> which, which is which is if you if you want that you can find that in literally any review of suburban sasquatch i also i also want to absolutely take a moment to stress that that is true and we will have to talk this about is true, it by at the way. least a little bit <laughs> that that was that wasn't just a bit that that is that is a thing in this film and we will but like, you know, we, we could dwell in like, you know, on, on all of the kind of like humorous failings of this movie. Right. And it's totally fine to embrace that. Like, I think it's funny as hell that for reasons unknown to man or God, you put brown paper over a tie that's blue stripes to make it look like a brown tie when you you, you clearly have access to police costumes. Like, I find that choice. so cho- it's fascinating. incongruous. It's hilarious. But at the same time, like, what happens when we respect this movie and we actually engage with its critique? Yeah. Like, like what, what happens when we try to, like, grapple with this goofy thing, right? There is a dismissive attitude that B-horror is approached, especially Z-horror. People approach Z-horror with an incredibly dismissive attitude, right? Of course this movie sucks. It was shot for $3 in Westchester, Pennsylvania by, by like, a, a guy with a half-working camera. Right. Like, like, of course it's bad. And then, and then that precipitates dismissal. But what, what if we, what if we don't dismiss it? What if we try to grapple with the thing that suburban Sasquatch is this piece of art that is in so many ways virally successful now? Yeah. Cause just you going, know, and that just does going, mean oh, picking a, apart the colonialism. It's a bad movie. It doesn't really do anything from a critical point of view. Right. It's actually far more important to, to talk about like, what is, what is that quote unquote badness? mean what does that do what does that excuse that we should be aware of that we should pay attention to absolutely right and this this means coming at it with both an enjoyment of like i i watch a lot of i i have seen maybe three-fourths of of the mill creek entertainment horror catalog at this point i own all of them i'm going through them all oh boy (laughs) Do I recommend doing this with your uh, finite time on God's earth? No, but I also watched logistics. So I just do this now. Um, But like, you know, it's fun. It's fun to laugh with and at these films. Like I will never argue against that. Like, that's great. But at the same time, like 
we can't abnegate the responsibility given to us by art that's created. You know, like the, the meaning making process happens between art artist and and the viewer, right? Like it's it's this kind of like it's the homosocial triangle of making meaning with art. And we're trapped in this thing and, and we can't shirk the responsibility. Well, let us let us wrap the formalism zone there, because um we have so much more to talk about and we are already we are already forty minutes in <laughs> to this episode. <laughs> And it's always it's always the suburban Sasquatch level movies that do this to us too. And I, I feel like we have to take a second to think about how in in terms of the canon of horror cinema, right, there are certain ways that we know we can approach the vampire from the left. We can approach the zombie mm-hmm. from the left. We can approach the slasher from the left. How do you think we theorize Bigfoot from the left? Well, I'm glad you mentioned approaching various iconic horror properties, characters, and franchises from a radical political perspective. If that's something that interests you, you can go to patreon.com slash horrorvanguard or horrorvanguard.com to support us and the show. Patreon plug it over. So, so we need to do this, right? We just got done talking about werewolves, right? And werewolves are, as we discussed in the previous episode... This kind of under-discoursed horror monster, right? Werewolves uh, don't get a lot of love. And you know who gets less love than werewolves? Bigfoot. Yeah, so, 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 I know, so what do we do I know, with this? I know what do we do with this? You, you, you have written our first note here, and it's one, one of the more psychically damaging things in our Bigfoot notes discussion. But you wanted to talk about kind of Bigfoot in the context of anti-civ politics. Okay, yeah. This is one of the things that kind of annoys me about this movie is that the implicit politics of it are essentially like... It it tries to establish a a tension or contradiction between um, suburbia and ecology. Um, But it it doesn't really know how to do that. So what you end up with is this kind of implicit politics that... Um, human development is in and of itself a bad thing. Um, like you know, the 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 suburbs are bad, unequivocally, kind of ontologically bad. Um, and those who live there are kind of ruining the world. There is a strong anti-civ kind of politics implicit in some of this film, um, which I think we have to kind of unpack and push back on. Oh yeah, oh yeah. This this needs to be grappled with, right? Because this movie's critique of the suburbs, I think, and this also ties into one of our next points, which is this: this movie's either unaware or very shy of talking about capital, and and how capitalism plays a role in everything that's going on. Um, it doesn't even, you know, it gets slightly close when we start talking about some of the consumerist discourses that this movie evokes, but. So, so the general concept of the film, in, insofar as my limited intellectual faculties can comprehend something so cyclopean, is Bigfoot is a mystic creature that has been angered by humanity's incursion into the forest. Mm-hmm. The suburbs are an affront to the the metaphysical construction of of the mystic Bigfoot, and now Bigfoot takes revenge. is is kind of the founding conceit of the film that we're working with today. But I I think uh, critiques of the suburbs are great 
see see our entire discussion on the Halloween franchise. Um, but I think that where the Halloween franchise has kind of like a deft understanding of a very specific band of of psychic distress and violence implicit in the construction of suburbia, suburban Sasquatch is is like a big wooden mallet trying to like take down the subject. Yeah. And it's by attempting to do so much, it actually winds up evoking these like con- concerning right leaning discourses. I mean, yeah, it's kind of Malthusian, you know, this idea of like, oh, if you go to the fishing hole, there's fewer fish now because they built the new highway. And it's like, as, uh, and, and, and they go, oh, well, this is because of the, there's just, there's just, you know what the problem is? There's just too many people, isn't it? That's the, the, it's a very short leap that the film is kind of setting up to being like, that's the real problem. If there weren't so many people, the suburbs would not have spread so far and we would have not disturbed the noble spiritual sasquatch um in and that that i think is like it's it's really important to to pick that point apart and to kind of like wrestle with that for a second because the the initial step of of that that kind of discursive chain is correct right like you know like hyperbolically of course right the building of a highway necessarily damaged the the fish population in, in the stream that they're fishing in right but the, the problem isn't the incorrect analysis is, oh, the highway was built because there's too many people. The The correct analysis is the highway is built because decades of car culture and corporate lobbying from the oil concern has necessarily destroyed any kind of mass transit here in the United States, making these wretched highways a vital necessity, making the suburbs of a vital necessity because the existence of the suburbs are bound into that same idea, right? So like we... we could go one way into this left appraisal of why these structures exist and how they damage nature, or as kind of like, you know, you're exploring, we could go into that right-leaning Malthusian discourse, which is bad. The film, the film doesn't pick a lane very well. And so it kind of collapses one way rather than doing something more interesting. Well, I think, I think this is why we have to, let's, let's talk about the, the, uh, the kind of big issue that both of us have with this film, which is its treatment of indigenous spiritual practices and religion um, and colonialism. Yeah, so we kind of touched on the, the major issue, which is the red face casting, right? Like that's that's kind of the, but that ultimately that's just the most visible piece of, of the puzzle, the tip of the proverbial colonialist iceberg. But like my, my kind of the, the kind of thing that I draw out of this is like Bigfoot kind of oh, what is what is the word? What is the word that I need here? Not ontology. There we go. Uh, a Bigfoot on like a metaphysical level mm. is is almost this recapture of of indigenous folkways and beliefs and spiritual practices into a, a settler colonial framework. Right. Whatever, whatever kind of like mythical creatures and belief systems that various indigenous peoples across this continent and others have had now become this kind of like vehicle for tourist traps, right? They, they become a, a creature to be hunted, right? Like, see, a really good example of this is like how Supernatural treats the Wendigo. Yes. Right? Like, like it's it's a monster to be hunted. It's It's a big spooky creature now. It's kind of been stripped of its 
of its contexts and systems by colonialism, which uh, on, on one hand does may weirdly make, you know, like these creatures a good discourse for how these processes happen at large. But at the same time, like we're, we're, we're just, we're just witnessing a very, a very small sliver of the ethno side happening here. And like, you know, like when I was talking about every time I watch suburban Sasquatch, it gets harder to watch. It gets more painful. It gets more, just just strained and kind of heartbreaking on a weird way and it's it's because i'd see these things more and more and more each time and yet you you can kind of go oh no isn't it that uh i if, as best as the film can it's it seems to be tr- trying to treat sort of these indigenous um uh, beliefs and epistemologies with respect but at the same time, it's unmistakably a kind of colonizing gesture. It's an orientalist gesture, to put it in like yes, yes. terminology, mm-hmm. of like uh, of creating this dichotomy between a quote unquote rationalist male uh, epistemology that is focused on the suburbs versus the nurturing feminine uh, warrior Talia who is connected to nature. And this is this this kind of presupposes and is discursively based upon a divide between nature and culture, right? Uh, this idea of like actually humanity stands outside of nature. Suburbia is not where nature is, but actually, I really do think that the the concept of the web of life is really helpful here, because even in suburbia, you'll find nature, you'll find the natural world. You are, mm-hmm. in fact, there are certain kinds of ecologies that only thrive because of the capitalist nature of the suburbs and if those suburbs are to change as they should then that web of ecology is going to be affected as well yeah and i think this is all ultimately what kind of winds up for me being the great like uh, discursive shortfall of suburban sasquatch which is a phrase that will now live forever um is is that it doesn't make these connections Right. Is that, and, and by not making these connections, it, it recapitulates to the discourses it's trying to resist. Right. Like by making the correct analysis that the project of suburbia is a settler colonial project that necessarily is structured on this kind of late industrial destruction of, of a sustainable natural environment. But failing, failing to kind of like grapple with that, you wind up just reinscribing those same boundaries. Yeah. You wind up saying, yes. You know, there is a gap between humanity and nature. Yes, we must fight against nature always. Or, or, you know, yes, we must fight on the side of nature against a certain kind of humanity, which is opening the door to ecofascism. Yes. Yeah, that there are the good humans and the bad humans. And, and ultimately, all of this, too, is like, I, th- I think it's interesting that we have a journalist that's a protagonist here, right? Like, I, I always find it interesting when our protagonist in a horror movie isn't some kind of cop or someone who is predisposed to violence, right? Or has, I, I shouldn't say predisposed to violence, I should say has kind of a plausible access to the machinery of social violence as it stands, yeah. you know? And here we have someone who ostensibly they have kind of like, you, you know, like like what what is the idealized purpose of the journalist? They're here to give birth to popular knowledge, right? They're here to, they're, they have a generative job. They're here to create and to give you know, like it's, it's kind of deeply readable and encoded in that direction, you know, whereas like if the protagonist would have been like a Bigfoot hunter, well, they're, they're here to kill and take and kind of subtract, but like ultimately would, and again, like this is interesting given like 
you know, like discourses on manufacturing consent and the purpose of media in general, like, you know, like our, our journalist protagonist, despite seeing Bigfoot with his own eyes, refuses, refuses to believe an indigenous woman who's like telling him what's up for the whole length of the movie. Even up until the end, he's not believing her, even after he's watched her use magic powers to fight Bigfoot. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's the big problem, right? That's the this director self insert, which is clearly what it is, um, is the the kind of there is this Orientalist uh, relationship that's indicative of a wider sense of Orientalism. Um, as I said before we started recording, you know, it's hardly braiding sweet <laughs> braiding sweet grass. So like, <laughs> you know, we can do better than this. <laughs> we absolutely ab- absolutely can. Um, I know you and and again you, the, these are things that we have to wrestle with in like most horror cinema most horror cinema has these kind of like every single horror movie has been produced under capitalism yeah I, yeah ab- you know I, like or, or even even for horror cinema made in you know like the USSR and other places it's been produced under I'll just say incomplete socialist projects places where the echo and dangers of capitalism are still strongly felt you know, like we we have, and, and also capitalism here. I'm I'm kind of using a synecdoche for racism, colonialism, sexism. I actually think like actually all think of these things. That what makes the micro budget horror movie so interesting is the, its paradoxical status. So it is in it is in in many ways kind of removed from the mainstream Weltanschauung, the the mainstream worldview of the uh, of the film as commodity, but. It is so much more immediate in its articulation of the various ideological forces that inform cinema of any given historical totality. Um, and I think you see that here. And I, I think a really good example is how this film understands both masculinity and law enforcement. And I know you I know you had some things mm-hmm. you wanted to add about that. So I, I think this ties into a lot of the interesting ways in which Bigfoot is depicted in, in this film and, and the things that we can kind of like explore and pick apart with that right like what i kind of find to be interesting is that bigfoot is kind of generally depicted as being a man Mm -hmm. you know and and i say man here very specifically i don't mean bigfoot is depicted as being male right like 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 you would say like oh that's a male gorilla or something or that's a male lionfish or whatever you know like not not like biologically sexed as male but like gendered as male in the human sense of that term and I think that's really strongly felt in this movie. And, and Bigfoot is juxtaposed with one of the cops in this movie. Uh, as as we see in a flashback, his wife was was kidnapped by Bigfoot. <laughs> it's um, maybe one of my, it's maybe one of my favorite scenes. Do you want to know the thing I love about that scene? The th- the thing I love about that scene is so the cop has like a shotgun, and and he and he and instead of you know like like so, I'm not I'm not a gun expert. I just want to put that out here. So correct me if I'm wrong about guns, but I, as far as I understand, one of the big advents of guns in terms of their ability to to aid you in combat is that you don't have to be within physical touching distance of the thing you're fighting <laughs> to shoot it with your gun. You you could be, and I get I get it with a shotgun. You want to kind of be closer to to to, to give them the most blast possible, right? But like, still with that, like my understanding is like the bullets fly out of the gun and you don't need to like hit the thing with the gun to make the bullets go out. 
and, and again, like listeners, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but like my understanding is that guns are meant to be shot towards things <laughs> and not used as bats. And and I like obviously like they're doing that in this movie because like they can't actually fire their guns because that's a special effects leap that's well outside of the bounds of five hundred fifty dollars. Also, horrifies me when I see what looks like real guns on set on a movie with this low of a budget. Because because God knows we know what happens with guns on real movie sets. Yes. So we do. my heart always skips a beat when I'm watching a Z horror movie and they start throwing around real guns and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, this 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 will end well. But but the guns in this movie are all impotent. Bigfoot is immune to the guns. Um, right. I, I and feel like, like we should. Which I love that little discursive. Like pocket. what happens when Bigfoot is kind of shot with one of the magic CGI arrows or shot with one of these guns? Uh, well, the guns don't do anything, but the the CGI arrows make him bleed CGI blood. <laughs> oh, what a great movie! <laughs> oh wait, wait, hang on, wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry, we're, at, we're almost at the end of the episode, and we forgot the, the single most important thing about this movie. Okay, there's one other thing we have to talk about. Um, as we are 58 minutes in to recording. There is one other thing we absolutely have to talk about. We have to talk yes. about maybe the great unspoken star of this film. Um, the, the ideological and discursive mm-hmm. center of the film as, as, a, as a whole. We have to talk about Bigfoot's dick. <laughs> <laughs> and, this, and, this, and this again, like, that's an interesting addition Right. And, and I find that there, there's so many like fun, there's like a bouquet of fun complexities that we can draw out by approaching that. Right. Like one, most depictions of Bigfoot in not only cinema, but also in like Bigfoot sightings subtract sexual qualities. And, and we should like, right? can you, can you, uh, for people who've not seen the film, can you emphasize just how central this is to the, to the character design, to the costume design? <sighs> Yeah, you're going to make me do this. <laughs> so, like, what, what's weird about this is no one in the movie acknowledges this or engages with this at all. It's just a detail of his costume that presumably only exists for us, the viewer and the audience. Because no one in the movie has anything to say about it. And they treat it as either a thing they don't notice or just, like, so, so blasé as to be beneath mentioning. Like, you, you, would, uh, like you wouldn't mention a, a cloud that wasn't interesting, right? Bigfoot's dick is an uninteresting cloud, is what I'm trying to say. But it is, let's say, let's say, very prominent in the costume design yeah. is, I think, the the phrasing that we will use today. And and uh, it it has, to borrow video gaming parlance, let's just say, independent physics. <laughs> okay, there there are two things that I want to I want to say, or kind of one thing that has kind of two parts. Obviously, what we can do is we can we could kind of talk about the um, uh, the the phalluses as threat, right? Bigfoot um, abducts um, a, a lot of women, dismembers a lot of women, drinks the blood of a lot of women, and again, with the addition of 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 the phallus, you know, you can read that in um, allegorical or metaphoric terms through through Freud. However, I think. Again, probably the way to read this is the same Lacanian analysis that we used in our discussion of the IU zombie bastards, right? What is yep. what is the phallus? The phallus is the ability to make meaning. 
uh, it is the it is discourse, discourse, if you will, uh, and mastery over it. Um, and it's very telling, right? It's very telling that if you read it that way, the gun, which is normally the thing that solves the argument, the thing which is the great inscription of American political discourse, is completely, is quite literally impotent when dealing with Bigfoot mm-hmm. in this film, right? Um, it, it is the master signifier par excellence is Bigfoot's dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, as as you were saying that too, I started thinking about Rochester, the classic classic Gothic male protagonist antagonist type, right? Our 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 evil Gothic patriarchal tyrant, mm-hmm. yeah, and and his and his falling off of the horse, right? That being a massive signifier for the kind of for, for a breaking of his vital male potency, right? Like like him losing control of the proverbial stallion. And, and we have those similar discourses going on here. In a way, suburban Sasquatch is is kind of a predictable and a necessary consequence of 200 years of Gothic literature. Both of us have been to graduate school for a very long time in order to bring you this line of <laughs> So uh, there, there is a closing point that you and I need to discuss. Um, because in the credits for this movie, and again, always watch the credits because you will learn such strange things, especially in these B-movies. Um, one of our closing credit statements is that Bigfoot is real. Discuss. Well, uh, yeah. You, you, are, you, are, you are more kind of au fait and familiar with the cryptid, shall we say? Um, what, what do you think? What do you think vis-a-vis the reality of Bigfoot? <laughs> so I, I have a hot take. I have a hot take, right? Bigfoot exists in a way that makes the material existence of a creature we could commonly identify as the Sasquatch irrelevant. Bigfoot exists in the same way that medical debt exists. Bigfoot exists in the same way that the validity of... Why, why don't we have good public transit in most major American cities? Why is the public transit system in the UK being completely destroyed? For the same reasons that we can answer those questions and explore those topics, there is a necessary reality to the kind of like mythological construction of Bigfoot, right? This collection of social belief belief systems that undergird their own reality, right? And we all participate in a certain level of legitimizing Bigfoot, let's say, and feel free to replace Bigfoot with other topics here, right? We all buy in to a certain extent of, of Bigfoot validity. You know, we, we participate in these systems and we engage with them. And that in turn engenders them with a certain truth, a certain indelibility, right? I think a lot about the uh, efforts to organize debt strikes here in America right now. Uh, new statistics show that the average American dies $60,000 in debt. That is about, you know, depending on which measurements we're using, twenty to $30,000 more than the average American makes a year. And, and again, when you hear like, oh, the average American makes $40,000 a year, know that rent is taking at minimum a fourth of that money away, but probably closer to half. And that's before we start talking about food and healthcare and paying for your car and buying clothes and medicine, all of these necessary expenses. You know, the, the reason why we don't just all say debt is irrelevant, like those are bound into a lot of the same mechanics behind Bigfoot being real, real in quotes here. So I have, I, I want to extend that um, 
Please and do. I feel like you'll be very proud of me for doing this because I'm so excited. I'm so excited. You, you teased this before we started recording, and I really want to know because I want to do it via the medium of speculative materialism. Oh, hey, um, great! <laughs> and posit Bigfoot as a hyper object. Yes, yes. Oh, let's so, do it. Let's so go. The, if, if I'm if I'm kind of remembering correctly, um, and I'm, I haven't read Timothy Morton's work in a while. There are a kind of few criteria for the hyperobjects, right? Which is firstly, the hyperobject occupies a kind of planetary rather than human conception of time. Mm-hmm. Bigfoot is yep. immortal, right? Yep. Bigfoot extends beyond any kind of natural lifespan of any organic life, right? Um, there is uh, non-locality. Bigfoot's uh, uh, range and the the Sasquatch cryptid ranges across. Huge swathes of the United States. In fact, culturally speaking, in terms of representation in films, huge swathes of the globe are inhabited by, by yep. Bigfoot. Absolutely. Um, it, it was actually this film that, that drove this home to me. Uh, one of the criteria is like um, viscosity. So the, the mm-hmm. hyperobject phases in and out, right? It can appear and reappear wherever it wants. It makes itself mm-hmm. known outside of the bounds of a kind of unnormal organization of... of uh, the space, uh, spatial and temporal, and this Bigfoot can disappear and then reappear on the roof of your car. Um, <laughs> you only see phase states, right? You only see phase states of the hyperobjects. Mm-hmm. Morton's example is climate change. You never, you can never yep. stand outside of it to see the entire thing. You only see different kind of moments of it, um, and of course, uh, interobjectivity. You only ever see. You know, how do we see Bigfoot? We see Bigfoot through the medium of other objects. In this case, cameras and film stock. Right? To to encounter I love to this. encounter Bigfoot is to encounter cinema. Right? Because the the really even the even the very famous photograph, right? You're not really encountering the object, you're encountering another object, right? There is a degree of interobjectivity mm-hmm. at work. So I don't I don't know if that's all of the uh, criteria that Morton lays out. I think it's I think, I think it it's is. most of them. Um, and I, I I so you are correct, but you're correct in as much as at the moment we are ideologically preconditioned to think of debt as an yep. as a hyper object that we are almost permanently inside. So of course Bigfoot is real. Of course it is. We hope you've enjoyed the dread discourse. Until next week, stay spooky.